Good Fight. That's the name of our summer Real Men Bible study. We'll be going verse by verse through 1 Timothy. Uh, you and me up here in the mountains, real informal, casual, 12 weeks looking at an older man named Paul, building up and uh, investing in a younger man named Timothy, teaching him how to be a man of God and fight a good fight. And I'll tell you, in a day when the uh, world has lost its mind and everything's going to hell, uh, a few men need to learn how to fight. I'll see you guys online this summer as we study 1 Timothy, the good fight. All right, guys, welcome back to our uh, summer Bible study for real men. We're in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 20 today. It's uh, command number two, slay sin. And uh, the way we're looking at uh, 1 Timothy, it's a spiritual father, Paul, writing to a spiritual son, Timothy, and he's teaching him, training him, telling him how to grow into manhood and godliness. And one of the themes he uses a lot throughout the book is a fight, and it's gonna be a fight. If you wanna be a, a good man, a godly man, you're gonna to have, to, uh, to have to learn how to fight for it because our world is uh, run by the devil and you are internally tempted by the flesh and the result is, unless you fight gravity, your life, your legacy is going downward, not upward. And uh, we're seeing this in historic numbers. Um, I'm a dad, I got five kids, uh, three sons, I got a son-in-law, um, I've got two grandsons on the way. And uh, for you older guys, I uh, just would encourage you, we have an opportunity to help pull up the next generation of young men for you younger men, man, you are you are in one heck of a situation. I'm not gonna lie to you, I'll be real honest. The world that you're growing up in and entering into masculinity and manhood in, in it's it's a disaster. It's it's a dumpster fire meets prison riot um, situation. And everything from politics to entertainment to education to culture has been infiltrated by uh, the demonic and evil, and, uh, and everything is against you. And the government is seeking to make you dependent, and uh, the internet with technology is trying to make you addicted. And I'm telling you guys, you have got to learn to slay your sin. Um, there can be all kinds of sinful temptation, demonic work, uh, worldly, you know, lust around you. But the biggest fight, my friend, is going to be in you. Uh, you have got to conquer your greatest potential enemy. That's you. Your greatest potential enemy is not the next president. It's not the government. Um, it's not a woke progressive agenda. Um, it's not, you know, an enemy. Uh, physically or even spiritually. All of those are real and a real problem. The greatest threat to you is you. The greatest danger to you is you. The greatest problem for you is you. And I tell you that not to beat you down, but to build you up. And uh, the statistics are true. A uh, report just came out this week actually for uh, young men. Testosterone rates, absolutely historically tanking tanking. Uh, what this does is causes diminishing sex drive. We're looking at a whole generation of young men who can't even perform sexually in their 20s and 30s. Um, 
This also causes men with low testosterone to have hair loss. Uh, you can't grow yourself a nice beard. Uh, muscle loss, you're not strong. Uh, bone density lessening and uh, fertility rates declining. So testosterone is what God put in a man so that he could live as a man and fight the good fight as a man of God. And they say that the reason why we're seeing such declining right, uh, rates of testosterone is because of video games and pornography. Apparently, uh, this uh, addiction to pornography and also to video games uh, is causing uh, depression, uh, social anxiety, guys' inability to sleep, and uh, what you've got is a whole generation of young men who, a few years ago, a, a stupid asinine government handed out a bunch of money, told them to be a good citizen, was just to stay home on the couch and cash checks and order DoorDash and watch porn and video games. Eventually, those guys statistically moved back in with their mother and they're not launching. Uh, in addition, uh, they're not marrying. They'll find a gal with low discernment and uh, low expectations, but a good income potential, move in with her, no intention of marrying, taking on responsibility, being a husband or a father. Those dudes are addicted to pornography. They literally have porn erectile dysfunction. They can't even perform sexually in a healthy, normal relationship. Their addiction to video games, the article that reported this recent study says, quote, video game anxiety is a real problem. You gotta be kidding me. That's, that should be a real joke. Uh, just so you guys know, video games aren't real. <clears throat> and uh, if you're good at them, you're still bad at life. I, I, I don't play video games. I'm a grown man. I got a job. I got stuff to do. I got two jobs, actually. And But what I'm being told is that the video game and the porn uh, industry have learned how to tap the dopamine hit on the top of your brain so that you're constantly living for that hit or high. The problem is you need more pornography, more extreme pornography, more drugs, more hard drugs, more alcohol, more higher proof uh, alcohol. You need uh, more stimulation, more screens, more intense, gory video games to just continually getting the dopamine hit. And if you don't get that under control, if you don't slay your sin, your sin is gonna slay you. Like everything, sin just leads to death. And we're seeing the death of an entire generation of young men. And what we're also seeing is now guys aren't working, they are not marrying, they are not fathering and having children, they're playing video games, they are watching pornography, and statistically the average dude is gonna eat 6,000 slices of pizza during your lifetime. Let me just tell you, if you don't undo everything that this world is trying to do to you, you will self-destruct. And so you've got to learn how to fight and you've got to fight your flesh and you've got to fight uh, the temptations that come around you. And so we're going to talk about slaying sin. And with sin, it's like any enemy. You can't just try and manage it. You can't try and control it. You can't try and wound it. Either sin kills you or you kill sin. That's the way the fight works. And there are two ways that guys sin. Some of you I just sort of hammered you like a nail. I love you, I'm trying to help. I'm telling you the same things I tell my sons. Um, some of you guys, your sin is religious. 
you're the guys who um, you were overmothered. Um, you were um, you you're in a legalistic religious environment, and it's about knowledge, not wisdom. It's about beating people um, rather than reaching people. And you have learned that by being morally or mentally superior, you consider yourself to be quite a significant man. Um, but you don't live in the spirit. You don't manifest the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You tend to have pride issues. You're arrogant. You're judgmental. You look down on others. You're low compassion and low empathy. And some of you guys, you've been really overmothered because it was your mother who took you to church and your father wasn't involved or particularly spiritual. And so you guys have religious sins. Others of you have rebellious sins. You're the guys I just talked about, the porn guys, the video game guys, the avoiding responsibility and masculinity guys. Now, there is a story in the Bible that talks uh, particularly to men, but especially to young men, about the two ways uh, that men are prone to sin. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. It's told by Jesus, and he tells the story that there's a good father representing God, and then two sons, and those sons represent the sons of God. So you got to ask, which son am I more like? One son is very religious, the other is very rebellious. The rebellious son runs away from home, blows his inheritance, you know, it's just, he just, he, he's, he's, he accepts Hunter Biden into his heart is really what he does. And he just lives this life of addiction and debauchery and indulgence and self-destruction. Eventually, uh, he's unclean, unholy, uh, he's unhappy, and he's going to die if he doesn't get some help. He realizes, you know, my dad might take me back, give me a job, uh, you know, in the family business or on the farm. He goes home and, um, and his father runs and welcomes him and honors him and forgives him and restores him. If you are the rebellious son, you need to know. You need to get back to the Father. You need to get back to the Bible. You need to get back to prayer. You need to get back to Jesus. You need to get back to the Holy Spirit. And you need to get your butt back to church. You need to be with God, God's Word, God's presence, God's Spirit, God's people. And, and you'll be embraced. You'll be loved. You'll be forgiven. You'll be restored. On the other side, there's the religious older brother. And uh, he's the guy who's, he's always done the right thing. He's always obeyed. He's always, um, you know, read his Bible in the morning and fasted every Friday and took his Sabbath day and did everything that you're told to do to be a good person. The only problem is for him, uh, his sin was really internal. He didn't really love his brother. He was rejected and repulsed by grace. When his brother came home and got forgiven and loved and blessed, he was upset. He couldn't even come into the party. Got to ask yourself as a guy, especially a young guy, which one are you more inclined toward, rebellious or religious? Me, uh, especially growing up, I was a magnificent combination of both. I was the moral Catholic boy who didn't know the Lord, but knew how to kind of be a good moral person. And I was also sleeping with a pastor's daughter, which is as bad as it gets now that I'm a pastor. And so I was a weird combination of both. That being said, I want to be honest with you, man, I, as a man from day one that I met Jesus to today, and I got saved at 19 today, I'm 52. It's a fight. And every man is going to have a fight. And your fight is going to be primarily 
in the rebellious category or the religious category. And you've got to figure out what your fight is. If it's in the religious category, it's pride, judgmentalism, arrogance, lack of compassion, no grace, thinking you're superior because of your morality or your mentality to do theological you know, wordsmithing. If you're rebellious, it's going to be a short list. Porn, chicks, sexual confusion, drug addiction, you're the vape head dude, you're the pothead dude. Um, you think Jose Cuervo, Jim Beam, and Johnny Walker are a good accountability group and you got a drinking problem. We all have these categories and you just need to be honest about it. Well, Paul's writing to a young man named Timothy. That was my introduction. Brings us to Timothy. Option number one, slay sin. Option number two, sin slays you. It's a fight. It's a war. It's a battle to the death between you and your flesh. That's what it is. Option number one, slay sin. First uh, Timothy 1, 12 through 17, the Apostle Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though I formerly was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. He was a religious guy. That's what he's saying. He, he didn't do Jesus, he did jihad. He's that dude. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. He was poorly taught the Bible and thought that by declaring war on other people rather than his sin, that he was a good warrior for the kingdom, but he was wrong. Um, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Some translations will say the worst. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And he starts with a, what I'll call a thankful prayer. When our kids were growing up, uh, we do dinner together and, um, and we still get together as a family on occasion for a big family dinner. And I would often ask, does anybody have any thankful prayers? Who or what are you thankful for? And it was just beautiful to hear from Grace, my wife and the kids, like, you know, what God had been showing them and teaching them and doing for them. And they would just share what they were thankful for. Well, here Paul starts with a thankful prayer. And so if you're a guy who struggles like, okay, I, I know I'm a sinner, I got to fight, there's some junk in my life, we've all got it, I need to put it to death before it kills me, do I start by looking at me? No, start by looking to Jesus. Start by looking to your Savior and then invite Him to deal with you as a sinner. And that's what Paul's doing here. And he starts by a thankful prayer. And it's always good to just as a guy... Yes, be praying for what you would like or want or need, but also be praying for what God has said and done and shown. And there's always something to be thankful for. And he says that God has given him grace and mercy. And once you realize how much grace and mercy God has given us to make us a Christian, you'll be really confident that he has more grace and mercy to keep you and grow you as a Christian. And the opposite of... Um, living by the grace of God is living by your own power and flesh. And uh, here's how I like to tell it to guys. The Christian life is not what you do for God. That's what Paul thought before he got saved. Um, 
The Christian life is what God does for you through the sinless life, the substitutionary death, and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. He does that for you. It's what God does in you, gives you a new heart, new nature, new desires, new spirit. And this is really important because the reason you want to slay your sin is it's contrary to who you now are. Even if you have sin patterns from your past, God made you a new creation in Christ. You are a new person. You are a new man, to use the language of the Bible. And as a result, you have a new power by the Holy Spirit, and you have new desires. You want to do things differently. You want to live a new life. So God works for you. God works in you. And then God works through you. So this new life that God put in you, God works through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he starts with prayer. And what he's saying is, when I didn't live in grace and mercy in relationship with Jesus, my king, who rules over all of my life, what I did was I got very religious and committed a lot of religious sin. He even murdered some Christian, a guy named Stephen, uh, for faithfully serving the Lord. And he says his religious sins were that he was a blasphemer. He said, you know, thus says the Lord or thus says the Bible. And it wasn't true. He was a persecutor. He didn't give grace and mercy to people. He gave law and vengeance to people. And that's what religious people do. And he was a violent man. He was the kind of guy, he was dangerous. He's the kind of guy that, man, if he's in your church, if he's in your business, if he's dating your daughter, you're freaking out. You're like, that guy, he just is like a grenade with a pin pulled and anything at any moment could just ignite that guy into violence and, uh, and he's dangerous. All right, guys, Pastor Mark here letting you know about the latest book, New Days, Old Demons. It's a prophetic word against pathetic wokeness. Uh, you guys understand exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, hopefully it is on sale. If not, it's coming out very, very soon. Would appreciate your prayers as we punch a lot of people and things in the mouth. And if it's a help, get a copy. But here's what Paul is basically saying. Sometimes the worst evil is done in the name of God and graceless religion. And so you've got to ask yourself, is my tendency or proclivity in my sin to be like the older brother or like the Apostle Paul, who is saying that he was an older brother, um, to be religion over relationship with God, to be a punishing of others rather than telling others that Jesus was punished for them. And what he's saying here as well is, number one, God uh, forgives people. And number two, God changes people. This is so important. And today there's like a half gospel that a whole progressive woke younger generation is teaching. And that is God loves you. God loves you. God forgives you. God forgives you. So just do whatever you want, whatever lifestyle, whatever sexual orientation or gender preference or whatever behavior, whatever, whatever you think you would like. God loves you and he forgives you. So just do what you want. No, no, no. God loves you, so he takes you as you are. God forgives you because you're not supposed to be that way. And then God, hear me in this, God changes you so you're not like you used to be. True Christianity is God does love you, he does forgive you, and he changes you so that you're more like Jesus, who you're going to be like forever, and less like who you were before you met Jesus. And he goes on to talk about his past, and you know that you've kind of, gotten grace and forgiveness and healing from your past when you could talk about it. If you got stuff, you're like, I don't want to talk about it. Or when I do, I get very emotional. Well, you may not have fully processed and healed from it. What Paul is saying is, let me tell you who I was. 
bad religious dude. Memorized books of the Bible, knew Hebrew, murdered Christians, put women and children in prison. I was a dangerous, violent guy, and I did it all in the name of the Lord, and I was completely wrong. And now I see the error of my ways, and God's changed my heart, changed my life, and now Jesus is my God, and my desires have changed, and I'm, tr I'm by God's grace, I'm a new man, I'm living a new life, I'm in process, I'm not who I'm gonna be when Jesus is done, I'm not who I was when Jesus started with me, I'm in the middle of the fight, and what he's being is, is honest. And so it's good for you and I just to be honest and say, okay, here's where I started and here's where I'm at and here's where I'm going. And, um, and what he's saying is God gives, um, God gives hope through guys like Paul. And some of you, you, uh, you hear this, you're like, man, I don't want to really, you know, be honest about my struggles or my issues. Um, but Man, how encouraging is it? You're like, if God could save Paul, God could save me. If God could forgive Paul, and he's murdering Christians and imprisoning godly women and children, he could forgive me. If God could actually change Paul, he could change me. I don't know about you, whatever you and I are struggling or dealing with, it's probably not as intense or deep as Paul had in his religious struggle. In addition, if God could use him to bless and help others and do good and use all the nasty, naughty, vile garbage and rebellion and sin and foolishness in his life for something good, then it's great news for us. It's like, well, maybe God takes all the crap in my life, uses it as fertilizer and grows something fruitful um, that nourishes others. That's what God does with our testimony if we give it to Jesus and we're honest and we keep fighting the good fight of the faith and trying to slay our sin. Um, before we move on to his next point, the first is um, slay sin. That's your first option. Let me ask you this. Um, number one, who would you be, if you're hearing this, I'm assuming many or most of you are Christian, who would you be if Jesus hadn't gotten a hold of you? That's a terrifying thought. Um, and what Paul is saying is, here's who I was, and this is where I was going. Now, imagine if Paul went in that direction for decades and didn't slow down. I mean, he would be the Osama bin Laden of his generation. I mean, that's who he would be. Uh, for me, if Jesus hadn't saved me and saved me from myself, I am very convinced that I would not have uh, 30 years of faithful marriage, which by God's grace, I do. Um, I would not have a healthy relationship with my five children, which by God's grace, I do. I would probably be divorced. I would probably be self-destructive in indulgences of temptation and flesh and pleasure and women and whatever else I could get into trouble with. And I probably would still be a functional and competent, but very unhealthy, very selfish, very lonely guy. And with two grandkids on the way, I don't think I'd be the kind of guy that my kids would leave with grandpa. They would leave their kids with grandpa. Um, and so my life would be um, probably uh, very um, self-ish, self-indulgent and self-destructive. That would be me, if, I, if I'm just honest. Um, now Jesus saved me and he saved me from Satan's sin, death, hell, the wrath of God. And he saved me from me, he saved me from me. And, um, and the question is, has he saved you? And is he saving you? And who or what is he saving you from? And we've all got to be honest as men about our temptations and our struggles. 
And every man's is different. And so we can't judge one guy for his struggle. I don't know why you struggle with that. Well, you know, the one guy who struggles with porn, you know, wonders why the other guy's obese and struggles with food and they don't understand each other. And the religious guy judging them both doesn't understand that his struggle is pride. So we've all got our thing. Um, but here's my question. Do you want to slay that sin, that besetting, struggling thing, religious or rebellious for you? Do you want to slay it? Um, because I always say that the want to precedes the how to. If you don't want to change, there's not a thing that anyone can do. If you do want to change, there's lots of people, including the Holy Spirit, who are willing and able to help you to change. And what Paul is saying is, God changed me. If he changed me, he can change you. I put my sin to death. If I can do it, you can too. The only other option is uh, sin slays you. 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child or my son, spiritual father, spiritual son. We all need this. I've got men over me that are like fathers, and I've got men who are younger than me that are like sons in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. So Timothy's life had prophetic uh, direction. And this is where you pray and God the Holy Spirit re reveals a future and a destiny for some to walk in. Some of you are in churches that are cessationistic. The Bible says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. That's what cessationistic theology does. It treats prophecies with contempt. The Bible says not to um, grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what cessationistic theology does. The Bible says do not resist the Holy Spirit. That's what cessationistic theology does. Behind cessationistic theology is a spirit of religion. It's the heart of the older brother. And it's very offended when it's even called into question whether or not it has um, come to the right conclusion on some particular issue. Uh, those who are cessationistic, that supernatural spiritual things have ceased after the closing of the canon, um, they, uh, they, they interpret the Bible differently than those of us who believe in the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. And they will find the most outlandish, crazy, obscure, you know, Holy Spirit people um, and say, see, that's what it looks like. No, that's not what it looks like. That's what the counterfeit looks like, or that's what a gift looks like in the flesh, or that's what it looks like when someone is faking to have the Spirit. But nonetheless, there was a prophecy given over the life of Timothy of what his future was hold. Uh, and some of you have had this and some of you won't get this. It's God's freedom. But God spoke over my life when I was 19, said, Mary Grace, preach the Bible, train men, plant churches. That was God's prophetic word for my future. And uh, I've had some people question that over the years. It's like, well, Grace and I are happily married and got five kids. I've been preaching the Bible for 30 years, 27 as a senior pastor. Uh, plant churches, I've planted churches and pastor in one I planted right now and train men. And I'll just tell you guys, uh, recently, just these little talks, me sitting at a cabin in the woods, um, 300,000 people tuning in. It's insane. That tells you, number one, there's a whole generation of guys who are just like, help, tell me something, help me out. Because right now they're just trying to get me to cut my genitalia off and wear a dress and figure out what to do with, 
you know, bedazzled guy liner and uh, go join the June Pride Parade and uh, never have a wife or kids and vote for socialists who will pay me to be an idiot. I mean, that's the domino effect of our freaking fallen world. And it means there's a whole generation of young guys that are like, that doesn't sound good. Is there an option? Well, the only option left is the word of God, the will of God, the way of God. Um, number two, because anybody's listening, it means there was a prophetic word that was fulfilled. And there was one for Timothy. Uh, that you may wage the good warfare or fight the good fight. And the prophecy over Timothy's life is really a prophecy over every man's life. And that is to be a man of God, you got to fight and you learn how to fight a good fight. And again, the fight is with the world that is against you. The fight is with the demonic that is against you. The fight is against the flesh that causes you to be tempted and seduced by the demonic world system that is set up to bring death instead of life, disobedience instead of obedience. And in those moments of temptation where you're wanting that dopamine hit or you're wanting to be that religious jackalope, you've got to pull back and ask, okay, um, am I willing to fight either these temptations toward religion or rebellion? He goes on holding uh, faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have handed over to Satan, that they may be taught not to blaspheme. So the first point, Paul uses himself as an example, and he says, uh, slay your sin. And then the second example is two guys, Hymenaeus and Alexander, sin slayed them. Now, we don't know if they were religious or rebellious, they are mentioned in the New Testament on a few occasions. Here, they are said to blaspheme. They're saying things about God that aren't true. They're false teachers and they're liars. Um, our world is filled with false teachers, false prophets, false apostles, and liars. Um, and so Jesus says that Satan is the father of lies. He's got a lot of sons. He's got a lot of sons, a bunch of liars. And that's Hymenaeus and Alexander. Um, and so what we're seeing here is Paul is saying, uh, for those who don't slay their sin, they become wolves. So Paul is a shepherd. The people in the church and Timothy who are hearing this letter are sheep. And now Hymenaeus and Alexander, they're the wolves. If you live, so everybody lives by the spirit, the flesh, or the demonic. If you live by the spirit, you'll overcome the temptations of the flesh and the demonic and you will be able to slay your sin and live a life of deliverance, freedom, and victory. And even when you stumble or mess up or have a bad day or make a stupid decision, God's grace empowers you to get out of that place that you've fallen into. That's living by the Spirit. Those who live by the flesh, that is a man apart from God, and this can be religion or rebellion and self-indulgence, those who live by the flesh eventually go into the demonic. If you, if you live in the flesh, it's like gravity. You get pulled down. So you start by drinking too much, then you're an alcoholic, and next thing you know, you're a drunk driver, or you're unemployed, or you're a failed husband, or you're an absentee father, and then things get really dark, and now you start to have massive addiction, or depression, or suicidal ideation. Living in the flesh over time just goes down like gravity toward the demonic. And at that point, you become not a sheep, 
but a wolf. And what you start to do is not just harm yourself, but to harm others, your wife, your kids, your friends, your extended family, your church family. And what he's saying is that Hymenaeus and Alexander, they become wolves. They are leading people astray. They are tempting people to sin. They are causing people to live in the flesh, either religious or rebellious. And the reason why Paul names them, I think, is their church leaders. Very rarely does the New Testament name leaders. It usually attacks ideas, not people. And we should do the same. Generally speaking, I attack ideas. Very rarely do I attack people. Here, Hymenaeus and Alexander are well-known public figures within the church, and they've probably got a whole faction that they're leading astray to not slay their sin, but to let their sin slay them. And if you're going to tell people you get to say what you want, believe or behave how you like, you're always going to be popular. And there's people who are going to be like, I just love a tolerant, permissive leader. And Paul is saying, no, that can't be the case because that's not the will of God. And so what we see is, uh, number one, not everybody should be welcome in the church. And if you're a church leader, and I know many of you are, one of the dumbest things we say is everybody's welcome at this church. No, they're not. Like if, if you want to hurt kids, you're not welcome. If you want to abuse your wife, you're not welcome. If you want to find somebody to sleep with, you're not married to outside of marriage, you're not welcome. If you want to come in and teach false doctrine and heresy, you're not welcome. Everyone who wants to hear the word of God and repent of sin should be welcome. Those who don't want to slay their sin, but they want their sin to slay them and they want to encourage others to be slayed by their sin. They're not welcome. That's what he's saying. And number two, evil doesn't stop itself. Hymenaeus and Alexander, they're evil. Some people are wise. That's Paul. That's Timothy. Some people are foolish. They live by the flesh. That's the sheep who are going to hear this letter. Some people are evil. They live by the demonic. They're wolves. That's Hymenaeus and Alexander. Um, and what happens is if somebody is truly evil, they don't stop themselves. They just keep conquering. And, over, and you'll see this. You'll see this with, you know, sort of these domineering, overbearing, um, chauvinistic guys who just use and abuse women. They don't stop. They need to be stopped. You'll see this with people who just keep ripping other people off or telling false teaching. They don't stop themselves. And so what happens is, first, a man needs to slay his sin, and then he needs to fight to protect others from those who would want to slay them. And so evil doesn't stop itself. So what Paul is saying is, I'm between Hymenaeus and Alexander and the people, and Timothy, my son, you need to get in the fight. Now, what happens is, men, we can't get in the fight to protect women, children, non-Christians, new Christians, the weak and the vulnerable. We can't get in the fight if we've already surrendered and let sin slay us. And this is the problem in our world, that there are not enough men who have slayed their sin and are up for the fight to set captives free and to keep people free in Christ. Um, so a couple of things, and I'll close with this. Number one, you got to take responsibility for yourself. You're not a victim. You're a man. Nobody follows, hear me in this, nobody follows a freaking victim. A whole generation needs to learn this. You can be a leader or you can be a victim, but you can't be both. And here, Paul is telling Timothy, take responsibility for yourself. You are a man 
and you need to slay your sin and then get in the fight between evil men and those who are vulnerable. Number two, you got to choose which man you're going to follow. Timothy knows Paul and Hymenaeus and Alexander. He's got to figure out which father figure am I following? Am I going to follow Hymenaeus and Alexander or Paul? You got to decide who your spiritual father is, who you're going to listen to, who you're going to follow. And that's a life and death decision. Thankfully, Paul um, has Timothy follow him. And then the people follow Timothy. This is leadership. Leadership is you follow a godly leader and then people follow you. That's Timothy. And then um, what he says last as well, um, you, uh, you've either got two options. I'll summarize. Slay your sin. What do you need to put to death, friend? You got to fight the fight. Number two, or it slays you. And what I love is that Paul is reaching out to Timothy and in closing, if you're in a group, um, how many of you have got a buddy that you need to kind of do what Paul's doing for Timothy? You got to reach out to him, contact him, speak to him. Hey, I love you. I'm worried about you. How many of you have got a, a friend, a buddy, a son, a grandson, a nephew, um, a younger brother who's um, religious? and they are being slain by their religious spirit. How many of them are rebellious? How many of you know a guy who's rebellious and he is being slain by his rebellious sin? To follow the example of Paul is to go find those guys, reach out to them and try and help them conquer their sin so that then they can get in the fight to protect the vulnerable from those who are evil. And that's the heart of a man. So at Real Men, we always say we build men up to bless women and children. Uh, thanks for tuning in. It means the world to me. And uh, I'll pray. Father, thanks for an opportunity to talk to the dudes. God, I pray against the enemy of servants, their works and effects. I pray that you would fill the men with the spirit. And God, uh, it's super simple. Um, we can get upset about politics and culture and entertainment and education. But at the end of the day, the greatest threat to our life is us. Uh, the greatest um, enemy that we need to conquer is our own flesh and sinful desires. And God, I thank you that because of the death of Jesus, we could put our sin to death. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can live a new life. And I pray for all of these men that they'd be up for that good fight in Jesus' good name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Mark here saying thank you for giving me the honor of helping you to learn God's word in a world filled with bad news, you need some good news. In a world filled with lies, you need some truth. And so, as I like to say, it's all about Jesus. We open the Bible and we help people learn about Jesus Christ. And I just wanna say, uh, if you would help me get the word of God out, it would mean the world to me. You can go to realfaith.com, mountain of Bible teaching. I mean, we're coming up on three decades of Bible teaching. And, or if you just go to 99383 and text the word unfiltered, again, that's 99383 unfiltered. We'll send you a link that'll open up literally thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces of free Bible teaching.